Yeah, if we could just, all over this room, hold your hands out because God wants to make an exchange in this moment. The presence of God is here and there's an exchange for what you're holding for who he is. It's He's bigger than that thing that you're holding. Whatever it is, he wants to make an exchange. So I want you to open up your heart and open up your mouth and lay it at his feet and name that thing. We just sang a song that says he's the name above all names, which means whatever that is, anxiety, give it to him. Depression, give it to him. He exchanges our sorrow and gives us joy. He turns our mourning into dancing. Make an exchange in this moment. The presence of God is here and you can get whatever it is that you need. Whatever you came in here with, don't leave here with it because he's a great God. He's a great God. And so all over this room, with our hands out extended, giving it all to him and laying it at his feet, we'll sing how great he is, but from a place of release. Let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. In Jesus' name, you gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. It can't have you anymore. You gotta let it go. Make an exchange in his presence. Everything has to change. Oh my goodness. He's here. He's here. Whatever you need, the king is here. The king is here. Lay it at his feet. Ah, let's make an exchange. Let's make an exchange. Lord, you're great. You're greater than anything we're facing, God. You're greater than any, any assignment of the enemy, Lord. You're great. You're great. You're a great God. You're a great God. And I know sometimes when it's foggy, you can't see, and it's hard to sing how great he is, but I'm asking you to sing it in faith. He's a great God. He's a great God. And whatever you need in this moment, he can come. He can sit right in that seat with you. He's a great God. He's bigger than anything that you're facing. He's a great God. He's a great God. He's a great God. He's a great God. Lord, we declare it in the face of everything we see. He's a great God. He's a great God. Huh? All right. So let's sing this from a place of faith and sing about a great God who shows up in your situation. He goes before you, he is behind you, and he's right in your present moment. He's a great God. 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 I can't stop saying it because some of you don't We gotta go, we gotta go. Y'all, he's a great God. And I'm sorry, maybe this moment is for me, but it was a tough week. And sometimes I can't see him because life distorts his view, but he's a great God. He's a great God. When I don't wanna show up, when I don't got the strength to keep going, he's a great God and he'll carry me and he'll hold me and he'll pick me up and he'll wrap me. He's a great God. 
You can't stand here and sit because you serve a great God. Even when you sit here entitled like he owes you something, he's a great God. Let's give our great God the praise he's due. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. Hold on. Hey, center point. I would just like to take a moment to welcome you to Center Point, where we are all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. My name is Brenda, and I'm the Director of Communications and Experiences, and I just want to say welcome. Sorry, y'all, we don't normally carry on like that, but maybe we do. What's up? What's up? If this is your first time, hey, I want to invite you to go to the blue tables after service. We want to hug on you. We want to love on you. We want to connect with you and get you plugged in. If you're watching online, do me a favor. Text the word connect to the number that you see on your screen because you're family now. You're stuck with us. You're here forever. <laughs> I got a couple announcements for you. So immediately following this service in venue two, there will be a missions interest meeting um, for our trip to Zambia next year. The word declares that we should go ye into all the world. And so if you feel called to go ye into the, all the world, you want to be at that uh, interest meeting immediately following this service. Anybody ready for Christmas? Woo! Woo! All right, so next Sunday, it's gonna start to look a lot like Christmas here at Center Point. We have a Christmas tree lighting party, and it is immediately following our first Sunday evening service, which starts at 5 p.m., and we wanna see you all there. Bring your family, your friends, your neighbors, everybody. Everybody, let me hear you say everybody. Everybody, y'all better jump right in there with me. Yes. <laughs> so we want to see you guys next Sunday. It's going to be a blast. We're going to have food, fun, games, and we get to light the Christmas tree. 
And now we get to continue in worship, and that is through our giving. But I have a verse for you. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Glorify God with all your wealth, honoring him with your very best, with every increase that comes to you. Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. If you have been blessed in any way by anything that you've experienced or encountered at Centerpoint, it is due to the generosity of our giving. And so I want to invite you into this moment to sow into what has sown into you. We get good word here. We got good activities for our families and everything. And that is all due to us giving and sowing in to push this vision forward that God has entrusted to this house. And so I want to invite you to do that right now. In this moment, the ways to give are on the screen. You can hit the QR code. You can text to give. You can visit mycenterpoint.tv. And we have give boxes all around the campus. All right? You ready to give? Yes, let's give. I'm going to pray over the offering. Lord, we thank you for this day. And God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to give seed into a great ground, God. And so we pray for everybody right now that is sowing in this moment, God, that you would return it 100-fold, pressed down, shaking together, running over, God. We just speak overflow to every seed sown in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes. Good morning, Centerpoint Church. Thank you, Ryland. I see you. They're getting the podium out here. How are we doing? Are you guys good this morning? My name is Aaron. I have the privilege of being the youth pastor here at Centerpoint Church. Yes, that is why I have rocket ship socks on and pants that are too short for my body. Yes, I already got called out for that this morning. They're like, hey, you need some new pants. I was like, this is just how I wear them. This is just how I wear them. So um, I'm excited to be able to continue uh, this series called Pressed. Are you guys enjoying this series uh, over Elijah's life? Um, I'm continue. I'm excited to continue it. You know, uh, it's something that probably Pastor John and, and Pastor Rick can attest to, but it seems like um, God prepares you for the messages that you're about to preach. And it, it's just, it just seems to happen that way. It seems like everything that, um, thank you so much. Gabe, give it up for Gabe. Thank you, Gabe. You're the man. You're the man. Um, uh, yeah, it, it just seems like everything that I seem to preach, I seem to be going through in the moment, right? And we've been talking through this, this life of Elijah, and it's already been difficulty after difficulty, but also miracle after miracle of what God has done in the difficulty. It gives opportunity and space for God to do a miracle, right? And uh, th this has been a, a week. It's been a crazy week. Has it been a week for anybody? It's been a week for anybody? Yeah, a couple of us, right? It's been a week or two or three uh, for me. We had, a, um, we had a cancer diagnosis in my home. I had a, an old uh, small group student, one of my students in CP Youth, uh, pass away tragically in a car accident in the last two weeks. Um, seemingly insignificantly now, right before Seek Week, I got exposed to COVID and had a quarantine for 47 days. You probably know what that's like and didn't get to preach for Seek Week. And then on top of it, just a cherry on top, my whole car exploded. The transmission went out and $7,000 later in a new car, I'm all good, right? It's been a week or two or three. But there's one thing I know is that God does not change. 
He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as I know that it's written, Jesus says that he who hears the word and does it is like one who builds his house on the rock. And when the waves and the winds come, the house is not shaken and the house stays standing. Why? Because it's built upon the rock. It's a firm foundation. He who hears the word and doesn't do it is like who one who builds his house on the sand. And when the winds and the waves come, it's swept away because it's built on the sand. But when we hear the word, the truth of God, and apply it and do it and step into it and say, God, I want this word to live through me. No matter what situation, no matter what circumstance, no matter what we're seeing in front of us, we hold on to a greater truth that God is faithful in the middle of the storms and that he has the power and the glory to get us through even the toughest situations. Amen. And I want to talk about this story of Elijah because I think it's going to bring out of us a resolve to say, God, even in uh, death, even in darkness, we will still trust the light of God and the resurrection of God to come through. Are you with me, church? So I want you to do two things. Let, let's uh, turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, and, uh, and then we're going to pray together. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are faithful. I thank you, God, that you are good even when we're not. You are faithful even when we're faithless, God. I thank you that you provide for us, that you bring your promises through for us, God. And we just, we just uh, recognize you in this room this morning. We say you are king. You are above it all. Whatever we're going through, we toss distractions aside. And we step into whatever you have for us this morning. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So as you're turning there, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17, I want to give you a little context of what's been happening in the life of Elijah. Elijah comes about, he comes on the scene during a very tumultuous time for the people of Israel when they have a king named Ahab. Everyone say Ahab. They have a king named Ahab, and Ahab is an evil king, but you have Elijah who's filled with the spirit of God to be able to speak into even political things, and he stands up to King Ahab and says, King Ahab, there's not going to be land, or there's not going to be rain for three years in all the land, declares the Lord, and there isn't, and God hears the prayer of Elijah, and there's no rain in the land for three years, which obviously affects a kingdom that's based on agriculture, right? So he speaks this to King Ahab, and then God brings Elijah out to this brook, and, and out by this brook, away from the promised land, Elijah starts to see and experience for himself the provision of God, of Yahweh, and he's getting fed by ravens. Literally, ravens are bringing him bread and meat. He's experiencing firsthand the provision of God, experiencing the goodness of God. And then after that moment, God calls him even further away from the promised land into a land called Zarephath. And he brings him to a widow in Zarephath and then uses the testimony that he's experienced from God of provision to bring provision to this widow in Zarephath, which is just a little side note. God will use what you've experienced of him, the testimony that you have in him to bring it to other people, the provision, the promise that you've experienced from God, right? So he brings this, this beautiful message and basically this woman is discouraged to the point of death, this woman, it's just her and her son. She's discouraged to the point of death. She's gathering sticks. She's even saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make for myself a, a last meal, a last supper for me and my son, and then we are going to die. 
That's literally where this woman is at. But Elijah comes as the prophet of Yahweh and provides the provision, gives her perspective, and declares that the flour that she had, only the handful of flour and the little bit of oil that she had, he says, it will not run out until it rains again in the land. And it doesn't. It doesn't run out. So there's this amazing miracle, this amazing thing where this woman who didn't even know Yahweh, now Yahweh has come into her home. The prophet Elijah was doubtless speaking to her and her son about the laws and the commands, the goodness, the promises of this Yahweh. And now she's starting to experience daily the goodness and the provision, the, 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 the Jehovah Jireh God every single day. She's starting to flourish until this happens. In verse 17, we pick up. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Let me just give you a little bit of context here. This woman was already discouraged to the point of death, gathering sticks together, going to have her last meal for her and her son, and then was going to die. But then hope comes back into her life. Elijah brings Yahweh, the, the prophet Elijah brings Yahweh back into her home and she's discouraged to the point of death, but now she's being provided for and seeing the goodness and promise of God every single day. She's seeing the fact that the flour isn't running out and the oil isn't running out and her basic needs are being met. Can you start to see that this woman that was discouraged to the point of death is starting to hope again? She's starting to hope again. Maybe she's starting to dream again. Maybe she's starting to think of actually a future for her and her son. She's starting to think, where could we go next? What could God do next? What could I actually work? How She's starting to think about future plans, all of these different types of things. And she's starting to get her hopes up again because she's seeing the provision of God daily. And then I, I love the Bible because it's like as if life just happens Verse 17 just happens sometime later. The woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died? After seeing the provision of God, the goodness of God, after Yahweh coming into my home, and now I'm starting to believe in this Yahweh, and he does all of this goodness for me, and then he, he takes my son away? Can you see the confusion that might be starting to brew in her head? I was already going to die. I was going to cook my last meal. Me and my son, we're going to have our last meal, and then I was going to die. Sometimes it's better to just know that there's no hope than be given hope and then have it stripped away. But now she's starting to hope for the future. She's starting to see and, and maybe starting to envision things and plan for things. And then it seems like, like, just like life does, it's just stripped from her. Can you imagine the disappointment of this woman? And I believe that some of us can relate so significantly with this woman that we've actually accepted that disappointment is just our lot in life. And some of us have given up on actually hoping in anything for fear that it will just bring about disappointment. If I actually get my hopes up, you know what hope brings? It brings disappointment. So why hope for anything? 
Why actually invite Yahweh into my home? In fact, the the moment I started believing in Jesus, things just got worse. Have you ever experienced that, church, when it seems just as if things are going good? The marriage just seems to be getting tighter again, and then there's this thing that separates us. Or I'm just starting to get closer to my wayward or prodigal son and daughter, and then something comes in. It's like the enemy just shoots an arrow, and it gets demolished. Or I just started to get over that church hurt from the last church, and then this happens. Can you relate with the disappointment of this woman? But some of us have cut off the the experience of hope as so not to experience disappointment. But let me tell you something. If you try and cut off disappointment, you will cut off hope altogether. The moment you try to not feel disappointment anymore is the moment you decide not to hope for anything anymore. You can't have one without the other. And our God has something way higher for us, always calling us to put our heart on the line, even if it means being disappointed, in order to see the breakthrough power and glory of God come through in our lives. So don't get caught in this story, in that reality. But I love this because it's such a human response, guys. It's such a human response. The Bible does not sugarcoat it. It doesn't put a theological framework over it. It just shows the real human response to suffering. In verse 18, she says to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? O man of God, O man of Yahweh, you're the prophet of Yahweh, and you brought Yahweh into my home. O man of God, what have you done to me to point out my sins? Watch the cycle. O man of God, what have you done to me to point out my sins? How real is that to our story and experience of suffering where sometimes it gets so heavy that all you can do is offload your suffering onto everything around you? Oh, man of God, how many of us in a season of struggle, of suffering, have begun to blame God for not coming through for us? Where are you, God? Why haven't you come through? Why haven't you done this? Why haven't you healed me yet? If you were really good, this would have been different in my life. If you were really there, I wouldn't have had the childhood that I had and be where I am today. Why, God? And we start to blame God for the suffering instead of relying on the very one that can get us through the suffering. Oh, man of God, what have you done for me? The next place that we go in suffering is to blame everybody around us for what we're going through. Isn't it true when you just can't handle the weight, you start to leak on to everybody else around you because you just can't hold it in yourself. So it's what she did, what my parents did to me when I was younger. All of these, this is the reason that I am who I am, why I do what I do. Everyone else is the problem. Let me tell you something. When we blame our suffering on other people, we never give ourselves the opportunity to actually grow through our suffering. Why? Because it's always he did that, she did that, and it's always offloading suffering, so you never actually go through it. You just continue to blame other people, and you can never grow through it because you're not owning it. Oh, man of God, why, God, you did this to me? And this is the last one, which is so tragic. What have you done to me? Have you come here to point out 
my sins, this last place in the suffering cycle, what did I do to deserve this? What sins did I commit? What did I do, God? I, I thought I was starting to serve you. I, I was starting to believe in your word. I was starting to experience your provision. You came through for me. I was going to die anyway, and then you came through for me. What have I done? Are you punishing me for my sins? Is that why the marriage fell apart? Is that why my kids are far away? Is that why, is that, why that person died? My mother, my father, my son, my daughter. Is that why they died? Are you punishing me, Lord? Do you see how scripture doesn't sugarcoat this? It shows the real experience, the actual human experience where we begin to put our suffering onto everything else instead of relying upon the God. God, I don't know why, but I know that you're the one to get me through. Oh, man of God, what have you done to me to point out my sins? If we stay in that cycle, we won't allow ourselves the opportunity to walk through our suffering with him. Are you with me? Okay. <laughs> China. Okay, all right. <laughs> I love what the prophet does because it shows us even more that God provides a place, space, and grace for these moments in our lives when we're saying, why God? What's going on? Verse 19 and 20. Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought this tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? Now, Pastor John, he mentioned it, I believe, in the first week of this sermon series. Elijah is the greatest prophet to the Jewish people. The greatest of all prophets to the Jewish people. In fact, the spirit of Elijah was the mark on John the Baptist that led the way for the coming Messiah. It was the spirit of Elijah that had to mark the coming of the Messiah. It wasn't the spirit of Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah. It was the spirit of Elijah that marked John the Baptist to lead the way for the Messiah Jesus to come. This guy is a big deal to the Jewish people. This guy, he walked in the power and the authority of God and he is a spiritual superstar in the minds of Jewish people. Elijah is the man. He's the man. And this prophet, powerful prophet of God, Elijah, who's revered by the Jewish people, who is the mark of the coming Messiah in this moment is having a God crisis. Did you hear it? Verse 20, Elijah cries out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who opened her home to me? She's been providing for me. She's been caring for me. She opened up her home to me, God. Do you repay evil for good? Who is this God? Oh, Lord, you're my God. You're my God. Why have you caused this tragedy to befall this woman? The greatest prophet in Jewish tradition is having a why God moment. 
a God crisis moment, a confusion moment where what he's seeing in front of him doesn't match up with the God he knows. He's been fed by the ravens and he's seen the oil and the flour come every day and now he's noticing death right in front of him and he doesn't know how to reconcile the goodness of God with death right in front of him. What does this mean to me? It means that if the greatest prophet in Jewish tradition had the place, space, and grace to be able to experience grief and have a why God moment, I think we have a place, space, and grace to experience the same. I think God is providing us a place, space, and grace to be able to experience the, I don't understand this, God. This doesn't make sense. Why did this happen? What's going on? Where are you, God? In fact, I love, uh, I love King David. His Psalms, if you read them, they're all over the place. This guy is on a roller coaster of emotions, okay? One moment, he's like, your love is better than life, Lord. And the next, he's like, I fill my bed with tears. This guy had problems. Do you know who the Messiah Jesus, what line he came through? King David. What does that mean? Your God crises and your problems and you're not understanding why does not disqualify you from God moving through you. So David in scripture going like this all the time doesn't know his having those God crisis moments. It doesn't disqualify him from Jesus the Messiah coming through his line. There's a place, a space, and there's grace for experiencing these moments of why God. Now let me make something very clear. There's been a lot of blame of God in this scripture. Let me be very clear. Jesus is perfect theology. And he came to destroy the works of the devil. And when he got on the earth, he cleansed the leper, he casted out demons, he opened the eyes of the blind, and he raised the dead. Jesus was the exact will of God on the earth. And a kingdom divided against itself shall not stand. God is not giving sickness in order to take it away. And even in the midst of our blindness, when we go through suffering, why God, even Elijah, the powerful prophet Elijah is saying, why have you caused this tragedy and caused this boy to die? In our blindness, it starts to seem like God is in the mix of all of it and he's allowing it and he's doing it and the evil I'm suffering and the sickness I'm suffering and the death I'm suffering, God has to have something to do with it. But let me tell you something, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the leper, he casted out demons. The will of God is healing. And he's not causing sicknesses that he wants to take away. Because I don't understand how can we pray with authority for somebody who's sick, knowing that it might actually be God who caused the sickness. Are you with me? Okay, I gotta lighten up. I'm getting too intense. Okay, all right. I gotta lighten up. Listen, but but I love it because we're gonna see a stark contrast here in the middle of Elijah's why complex, (laughs) right? In the middle of his God crisis, the scriptures say this in verse 21. He cries out to God, why have you brought this tragedy and caused her son to die? So he stretched himself out over the child. And three times cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. 
What's the difference here? The woman has a wide moment. Man of God, what have you done to me? Is it my sins? Elijah, God, why have you caused this tragedy to a woman who opened up her home and caused her son to die? But Elisha does not allow his questions or his misunderstanding to paralyze him. Instead, he uses that misunderstanding to motivate him to stretch himself out over the child and pray for a breakthrough miracle in that situation. Elijah does not allow the the why complex, the, the struggle and the misunderstanding, he doesn't allow what he sees to determine his actions. He allows faith to make room for a greater miracle to happen. And this is my main point for you guys this morning is this, is that we have to let our faith make room for a resurrection. Let your faith make room for a resurrection. What does that mean? Your faith can enter into rooms that your mind cannot squeeze into. And even when you're misunderstanding and you can't comprehend and it seems like God's all a part of this weird stuff going on in your life and you feel like, God, where are you? What's happening? All of these questions are going on in your mind. Your faith needs to be activated to move past and supersede your understanding in order to make room for a resurrection miracle to happen. Otherwise, we will stay in the why complex and the struggle with God, and we will get paralyzed by our questions and never see the resurrection. But if you allow your faith to supersede your understanding to make room for God to move, you will see whatever's dead in your life raised to life. You have to let your faith make room for resurrection. How did Elijah do this? He actually made a room for resurrection. Whoa. Verse 19, listen. Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms. He took the child's body from her eyes. So he sees something dead right in front of him. He takes the child's body into his arms, pulls it up into the upper room, and lays the dead body on the bed. He makes a room. He, does, he probably doesn't know what he's doing. He's just, I got to do something. I take the body, bring it upstairs, put it in a room. I got to get alone with God and figure out what to do here. But what does he do? He doesn't understand, but he actually lets his faith move his hands to actually take action, take the dead body, bring it up the stairs, create a room for it. And God spoke to me very clearly. He said, there's three things we do with dead bodies. We bury them, we burn them, and we remember them. And there's three things we do with disappointment often. We bury it, we burn it, but we always remember it. When we experience disappointment, we try and bury it deep down inside, try and forget about it, try and act like it didn't happen. We try and burn it, try and get rid of it, try and cover it up like it never, ever happened. But guess what? We will always remember it. What does Elijah do with death and disappointment right in front of him? He gets alone with it. He gets alone with his disappointment. He doesn't try to bury it. He doesn't try and burn it. He doesn't try and act like the the kid's not dead. No, he takes it up, gets alone with God in a room with the disappointment and death right in front of him. And he wrestles with God alone in a room over a dead body just hoping that he would see resurrection happen. 
You have to let your faith supersede your understanding to make room for a resurrection to happen. The only way through disappointment is through it. Can't go over it, can't go under it, can't go around it. You have to go through it. Some of us in the room have been dealing with disappointment. You've been trying to bury it, you've been trying to burn it, but you know it's in the back of your mind. You need to get alone with God with your disappointment. And you need to wrestle with God. You need to have a why moment. God, what is going on? I don't understand, but I'm going to let my faith make room for a resurrection to happen in this disappointment. I know I've been disappointed, but you call me to hope, God. There's no longer, I can't just accept disappointment. I have to see your hope and your resurrection come in. You get alone and you wrestle with God. Because the only way through disappointment is through disappointment. So Elijah gets alone with it. And then what does he do? He prays again and again and again. Did you read that? Did you catch it? He stretches himself over the child three times, cried out to the Lord. He could have done it maybe three times exactly, but it's often a euphemism, just like Jesus said, forgive 70 times seven. What does that mean? He prayed over this boy again and again and again and again, and again, and stretched himself out, and he didn't see a resurrection, and he stretched himself out, and he still didn't see him get up, and he stretched himself out. He still didn't see a resurrection. He stretched himself out, and the boy was still dead, and he stretched himself out, and it still looked like darkness. He stretched himself out, and it still looked like disappointment. He stretched himself out, and he prayed again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, because he wasn't willing to settle for disappointment when he knew that resurrection was possible. So what did he do? He continued to step again and again and again and pray over this boy. What have you stopped praying for that God might be calling your heart to say, why have you stopped praying for that? Why have you stopped stretching yourself out? Why have you stopped uh, that you've cut off your faith and got so caught up in reasoning and human understanding and the way that seems right to a man? You've been leaning on your own understanding when you need to lean on me and actually allow your faith to open you up so you can see resurrection back in your family, in your marriage, in your kids' lives. We need to open ourselves back up and say, God, you're still on the throne. You're still good. I don't understand, but I'm allow my faith to make room for a miracle to happen in my life. He prays again and again and again and again. I love this passage in John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. Jesus was walking along. He saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? It's a why moment. I'm confused. This guy's blind. Why was he born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Get suffering? Is it because of him or is it because of you? Do I have this because of me? Did I sin or is it because of you? Or is it because of God? Jesus says this. Jesus answered, this happened so the, oh, he said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. What's he saying? This man was just born blind and I bring about suffering just so I could take it away? I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying it's not even a matter of why this happened. This is merely an opportunity to see a power of God come through. He's saying the wise will keep you paralyzed and you'll lean off on the side and not actually do something about the situation because you're so caught up in the wise and you can't understand it. It doesn't make sense, but it won't actually lead to your hands doing something about it. Instead, a proper perspective of seeing a man born blind is saying, that's an opportunity for the kingdom of God to come. Not why this happened. Is it because sin has happened? Did God cause this? We get caught up in that stuff and we don't do anything. That doesn't inspire your hands to actually move. You know what does? Seeing your suffering and your pain and your struggle as an opportunity for the glory of God. Yeah. 
seeing what you're going through right now, your marriage is tough, where's the glory of God going to come through in it? Your kids are far off, where's the glory of God going to come through in it? You're struggling with depression, where's the joy and the glory of God going to come through? Because everything we go through builds endurance, which builds character, which builds hope that doesn't lead to disappointment. Come on. And God hears the prayers of Elijah, verse 22. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer. Some of you need to hear that, that God hears your prayers. They're not hitting the ceiling. They're not just going up into the sky. They are meeting the ears of Yahweh God. And he hears your prayers again and again. And I love this because Elijah is praying for something adamantly and fervently something that he has never seen or even heard about. This is the first account of resurrection in the entire Bible. What does that mean? Elijah, through the Torah, through the scriptures, had never heard, seen, even thought about a resurrection being possible. What kind of faith does it take for a man in the middle of his why questions, in the middle of not understanding what's going on, to believe that God could do something that he had never even seen or heard about before? But even though he had never seen it, even though right in front of him there was a dead boy lying on his bed, even though he had never even heard in his holy scriptures that he trusted and applied to his life so fervently because he was a powerful prophet of God, even though he had never seen it or heard it, he looked at the dead boy on his bed. He let his faith make room for that resurrection to happen, and he believed God for something he had never seen or heard about before. What kind of faith does it take to operate like that? James 5, verse 16 through 18. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was human as we are. What does that mean? There's no one disqualified in this entire room. Raise your hand if you're human. <laughs> Guess what? You're not disqualified from God hearing your prayers. Elijah was human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Elijah was human as we are, but was fervent and earnest in his prayers again and again and again and again. And even in his why moments and confusion and misunderstanding, he allowed faith to supersede what he thought God was, how he thought God should act, what he thought God should do. He allowed faith to go beyond where his mind could not take him to make room for a boy to be resurrected to life. And he does, verse 23, verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. This is our God. He raises the dead. This is our God. This is Yahweh God. Verse 23, I love it because I think Elijah was just as surprised as the woman. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother and said, look, He's alive. Come on, you know that he wasn't like, I knew this would happen. He's never seen or heard about a resurrection story in his life. He was probably so surprised. He's like, the boy's up, the boy's up. Yahweh, God, look, he's alive. 
In other words, in other words, look how good our God is. Look at the faithfulness of Yahweh. Look at our God who brings dead people back to life. Look, your son is alive. <sighs> Look, your son is alive. Verse 24, then the woman told Elisha, now I know for sure. Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. I believe that God in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our struggle, wants to bring us to this moment that this woman is having right here. And what if every, if we started to change our perspective and see our suffering as an opportunity for the glory and power of God to come through, we would eventually end up where this woman was. Now I know for sure. It's like a Job moment. I've heard about you, but now I've seen you. I've heard about you at church. I've gone to the sermons. I even participated a little bit in worship, man. I've gone to women's group. Woohoo! I've been at the men's group, but going through this struggle and seeing how you operate even in the middle of dead things, now I know for sure. Come on, say it with me. Say, now I know for sure. Say it like you mean it. You believe it. Now I know for sure. God has an amazing way of turning disappointment into resurrection, of taking every broken thing that we saw was just dead, lying on the ground. But when we let our faith supersede our reasoning to make room for resurrection power, we start to see that God is faithful and he brings a knowledge of him that only, it seems like, pain and suffering and going through it with God could bring. Where we can have a moment where we say, man, I heard about you, but now I've seen you. I thought I knew you, but I definitely know you now. People talked, Pastor John talked last week about you being a provider, but I was broke, and then you came through for me, and now I know that you are a provider. I, I've heard about that you bring joy, and that in your presence is fullness of joy, but I was depressed for a long time, and I went through the disappointment of being depressed for day after day after day, but you brought joy, and now I know for sure that there's fullness of joy in your presence. And I've heard the verses in Philippians 4 about not worrying about anything, but let me tell you something, going through anxiety with you and seeing who, how faithful you are in the midst of my struggle with anxiety, now I know for sure that peace is from you. We need to allow ourselves to get alone with disappointment and our pain and the death and wrestle with God because in that place he cultivates a now I know for sure. You with me? Yeah. I'm going to call Donathan back up. This is a beautiful story of resurrection power. It starts with disappointment. It ends up in resurrection. Starts with disappointment. Starts with this woman feeling absolutely distraught, blaming on everybody else. Elijah, even the man of God, what's going on? But it ends in the resurrection power of Jesus coming through. Now, I know 
that there's people in this room that probably from the bottom of your heart you're saying, I feel like I've, I've tried this before. I, I've tried letting my faith to go beyond my reasoning, but a resurrection didn't happen. My son, my daughter, my father, my husband, they still died. I talked about it a little bit earlier. One of my, one of my boys, one of my small group boys, one of my kids, I love my kids, passed away in a tragic car accident. He was 19 years old. I met with him the morning before he got in the accident. We started to reconnect. I talked with him the night before on the phone. He was struggling. I was talking to him, Jesus, man, you got to get this. I, I believe, I'm believing for you. I was starting to get hope in it. He was laughing. We were, we were at the end of the conversation, and I was like, I want to take you out for breakfast. He's like, you're going to buy breakfast with me? I'm like, absolutely, bro. We got to go and have breakfast together. We're having laughs. We're talking. And then that night, when he's just starting to reach out for help again, he gets in a tragic car accident and passes away a week later. He's 19 years old. Now, that is either an opportunity for a bunch of why questions to come into my mind. Why, God, did you do it? Why was it the timing? Why was I the last person to see him? All of that. You Do you see how that could stir in my mind? Why, 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 why? What's going on? Or it's an opportunity to see the glory of God manifest. It's an opportunity. For why? Where, where, what's going on, God? What, what happened? And that will paralyze me and not allow me to minister effectively to the family, to be able to see the hope of God, to be even able to give this message to you this morning. Every suffering is an opportunity to see the glory and power of God come through. And I'm just grateful that I got to be with him as the last maybe source of Jesus before he passed. I'm grateful that this place was a beacon of hope for him. That again and again and again, he came back to Centerpoint Church, to youth specifically, and would talk to me, would talk to our pastors when he was feeling down. I'm grateful that he gave his life to Jesus in one of our youth services. And that even as struggle, he actually gave his life to Jesus. I'm grateful that he's with Papa right now in heaven. He's with God in heaven and that suffering is gone and every tear has been wiped away from a, a life that was really, really hard for him. I'm grateful to God because there is a hope that does not disappoint. And we have to lock on to that because if my hope is just here in the temporary, I will constantly be disappointed. But if my hope is in the eternal, it does not matter what the situation looks like. It doesn't matter what the circumstance looks like. It doesn't matter how dead things feel. There is always a hope that does not lead to disappointment. It's the eternal life found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in him alone, there is no other way to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. This story becomes a template for apostles, for Jesus himself. Paul, with Eutychus, a boy named Eutychus, falls out of a window. And what does Paul do? He finds the boy at the bottom and he stretches himself over Eutychus. And the boy gets up from the dead. Peter, with a woman named Tabitha, clears out a room, an empty room, and gets alone with Tabitha and raises her from the dead. Even Jesus, with Jairus' daughter, goes to Jairus' daughter. People are laughing at him. He moves them out of the way, gets alone with the body in a room, and cries to the Father, and she gets up from the dead. This becomes a template for resurrection, the first one becoming a template for even Jesus' ministry. And then we see the culmination in Jesus. 
Jesus, the greatest disappointment of all time is the king of kings dying and crucified on a cross, but even the death of God himself does not end in disappointment. It ends in resurrection. The greatest disappointment that could ever happen on planet Earth, Jesus being crucified, God in the flesh dying, does not end in disappointment, but ends in resurrection. What does that say about your situation, your circumstance, what you're going through, your pain, your suffering, your struggle? It means that this will not end in disappointment. You will see a resurrection. You might not see it now. You might not see it in a year. You might not see it just even on this earth, but you will not be disappointed when you see him face to face. Romans chapter 5, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment. There is one hope that doesn't lead to disappointment, and it's the confident hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in him and we say, you know what, God, I'm going to allow my faith to supersede my reasoning. I don't understand it. I don't get the whole Bible thing even. I don't really understand how to pray. I don't understand where you were in my life, how you came through, or why you didn't come, or why, what you should do, or whatever. But I'm going to allow my faith to go beyond what my comprehension can understand so that it can make room for you to resurrect my heart. Can we pray together this morning? I want to give an opportunity right now for anybody in the room who has never received the love and forgiveness of Jesus, who's saying in this moment, I need Jesus. I need a relationship with Jesus. I need my sins forgiven. I need to be cleansed. I need to be made new. I need God to turn disappointment into resurrection. If there's anyone in the room that's saying, you know what? I've been far away from God. I've given up on a whole lot of things. I've given up on God. I've gotten jaded towards God. I, 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 I don't even know what to do in this moment. Here is your chance to say, you know what? I want to do things different. I want to get out of sin. I want to have the life that God has for me. I want to step into something new. I need a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, the greatest story of resurrection, died for you and raised from the dead so you could be right with him, so that you could be forgiven, so that his blood could cover every scar, every struggle, every bit of suffering that you've gone through so that you could be filled with the joy of salvation and a hope that will not lead to disappointment, eternal life. Eternal life, life forevermore. It's actually real. It's actually available through Jesus Christ. We can live forever by his blood. So if that's you and you're saying, I need to start a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to count to three. And then I want you to raise your hand. One, Jesus loves you, he died for you, and he cares for you so much. Two, he raised from the dead so that you could be right with him, so that all of your sins could be cleansed and forgiven, and you could be righteous walking in his power. And three, if that's you, and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, can you just raise your hand right now in this moment? Awesome. I see you right up there at the far back right here, right in the front right here. 
Awesome. Someone in the chapel back there. Keep your hands up, please. We would love to have somebody pray for you. Please keep your hands up. Please keep your hands up. Awesome. We got two in the back corner in the second row right here. Awesome. Back in the chapel. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? I want to make sure we have space for this. Anybody else who's saying, I need Jesus? Raise your hand. We got to keep your hands up. We had in the, yeah, in the second row right here. I don't know if you guys got him. And then back in the chapel. Awesome. And then just take your hand, just put it over your heart right now. And just say this. Just repeat this after me. Just say, Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. I need your help. I can't do it on my own. I want to start a relationship with you. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again to see me forgiven and free. Come, Jesus, into my heart and make me brand new. I need you, Lord. Amen. I want to do one thing. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I want to do one more thing because I talked about it earlier. There's some people in the room that have given up on hope because you're so terrified of experiencing disappointment again. And so you've said no to hope. You said no to disappointment. And in saying no to disappointment, you've said no to actually hoping for anything. You've allowed yourself to settle for disappointment. You just feel like, hey, it's one step forward, two steps back all the time. It doesn't matter. Get jaded, whatever it is inside your heart, maybe bitter towards somebody. You're still caught in a blame cycle of, God, why? Why you? Is it my fault? Am, am I the problem? And there's people here that are living in tremendous disappointment. I want to pray for you this morning and make sure you don't leave this place with a garment of heaviness, but you leave with a garment of praise. Thankful that God took every single bit of that on the cross. If that's you and you need prayer for that right now and you're saying, man, I'm tired of living disappointment. I need something different. I need something new. Can you do me a favor? Just raise your hand right now. Be bold and raise your hand. Be bold and raise your hand. Awesome. Be bold and raise your hand. Amen. Be bold and raise your hand. You need the hope of the gospel. You need the hope of Jesus. You've settled for disappointment in your life. Be bold and raise your hand. Amen. Come on. So good. If you're around one of those people right now, can you just extend a hand to them? Extend a hand. If you're next to them, just, just hold them or, you know, lay a hand on them. Just extend a hand right now. We're just going to pray for, for the Spirit of God to come down right now. Holy Spirit, I thank you that disappointment is not our lot, God. I thank you that you have something way more than disappointment for us. I thank you that you have a hope and a future for us, Jesus. I thank you that it is a hope that does not lead to disappointment. It's a hope that does not and will not lead to disappointment, God. And I pray right now for your presence. I pray where there is anxiety, bring peace. Where there is depression, bring joy. Where there is disappointment, bring resurrection right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for falling on every single one of these people in this room that is struggling, that feels barren, that feels destitute, that feels discouraged to the point of death, God, that has seen disappointment again and again and again in their lives. I declare over you right now that you will not see things from human perspective, from human eyes. You will see things from a 
heavenly perspective that you will see the workings of God, even in the suffering, even in the pain, even in the struggle, you will see God's perspective out of God's eyes with God's mind for your circumstance and your situation. I declare God's peace over you right now in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit. Get them. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, fall on your children. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we celebrate Jesus? Can we celebrate God? Come on. Well, listen, I, I took up too much time, so I'm, I'm going to dismiss you guys, if that's cool. So you guys are dismissed. If you, if you want to get connected, go ahead and head out to those blue tables. If you need prayer, come up to the front and check out everything. Hope to see you at the Christmas tree lighting next Sunday. We love you guys. Have an amazing week.